This is the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. You might be asking, who are you? Well, my name's Kyle Bird, and I am one of the hosts of this here podcast. And with me is my co-host, in, in, uh, who I'm sure would love to introduce himself. <laughs> I am Matt Parmley, and uh, dude, I'm going to talk about me. Let's talk about the other person that's joining us for this episode, because he's way cooler than both of us, I'm pretty sure. This is true. Well, nobody's dead. If you've li- listened for a while, well, I mean, someone somewhere is dead, but if you've listened for a while, the last few times we've had this gentleman on, uh, it was to mourn the passing of, of some somebody uh, who had an active role in, in the Godzilla series, but that's not what we're doing today. Um, so that would be our friend Chris. Chris, say hello. It's, it's been a while, uh, and we're happy to have you back. Hello, it's been a while, and uh, we're happy to have you back. No, this this must mean you guys are getting desperate if no one's dead and I'm here. So We are talking about uh, outer space and uh, uh, some, some of the races in outer space. Um, and we're doing that. I think we're kind of overdue for this. We've, we've gone into most of the, the, the classic Toho stuff. But the alien invasion films have eluded us until now. And we're going to talk about the Mysterians and its fake sequel, Battle in Outer Space. And, uh, of course, who better to, to join us than, than Chris? He's a Showa uh, fan, just like I am. And, yes. uh, and And, you know, I, I think it's fun looking at these movies now. Uh, oh, we lost Matt. Well, whatever. Oh. Who needs them? Um, anyway, so, uh, well, I don't know where we would, without Matt, should we, should we just go? Let's just go. Sure. I mean, he'll, he'll, we, we're not going to get very far, I'm sure. Yeah, he'll, 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 he'll catch up. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so that is the Mysterians and Battle in Outer Space, um, and there, there's Gorath, too, and people always lump those in and, and like to call them a, the Space Opera Trilogy. But I don't, the Cooperation Trilogy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which we could have done, but A, um, I'm not sure if I'd call... Would you call any of these real, really space operas? Like, space operas, I think, like, planet more hopping. Of a sweeping, and, yeah, more yeah. of a sweeping story than, than any of these. These are more coming together to fight a common thread. Uh, 
I don't even Gorath with this is like everyone's getting together to 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 fight an asteroid instead of aliens. But it, it they plays out very differently. Yeah, and so I I, I want to do Gorath with uh, Warning from Space. The, uh, you should do Gorath with When Worlds Collide, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, well we'll we'll get into George Pell. Well, we ha- I, f- I feel like we have to talk about George Pell <laughs> if we're talking about these. So um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I I just like to consider them a, an interesting kind of one-two punch of um, uh, Toho alien invasion. Uh, movies that were, yeah, very much kind of in response to uh, the George Pale movies that came out here. Um, War of the Worlds, yeah, uh, When Worlds Collide, Destination Moon, etc., 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 which both Subaraya and Honda were, were, were quite the fans of. Um, hey, I'm back. Did you even notice I was gone? I told you he wouldn't miss anything. <laughs> uh, welcome back, Matt. You so, wait, real quick. Hold on a second. You said you were like Chris is a fan of the sh- of the show of films, much like me. And I'm like, it makes it sound like I hate them or something. That's not true. Uh, well, you know, uh, you know. Okay. Well, well, you know, prove me wrong. Here you are. Oh, I rewatched Battle in Outer Space. It sucks. I rewatched Rodan. That sucks. I rewatched Rodan, and even though I gave it a five on the podcast, it sucks. I rewatched War of the Gargantuas. It's not that good. You're. You're a. That's not. I don't remember saying War of the Gargantuas. You're, 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 you're a. And that's another one that you were on the podcast. You're like, oh, it's like a four, five out of five. And you know what? I mean, you're too all over the place. Dude, I'm looking at my review of, of uh, War of the Gargantuas right now. I gave it a, a three and a half. What are you too smoking low. crack? <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, now, Matt, while you were out, I w- we were just kind of setting the stage here. Um, we're about to get into 1957's The Mysterians. Now, we don't really have this divvied up into any kind of uh, thing like we usually do. Um, Matt, I know you have vetoed out of doing any kind of synopsis for anything. <laughs> what I'm a, saying is I'm not doing work tonight. That's <laughs> which is, A, unfair, and B, that means I'm going to give you... Uh, uh, or the origin story of the Mysterians. Is that fair? Can you handle that? It's right in front of you on a screen. Yeah, man, I can I can do that. I can read sometimes. Okay. Dude, you are daffy today, man. I don't know what's going on with you. Dude, I was I was sick all day. I slept until like two o'clock because of how sick I was. And by sleep I mean like you drift in and out of sleep and you're not really getting rest. Oh, that's so. It's been a fun. Yeah, it, it was a it was a bad day, man. You should be you should be thankful that I'm even on this show tonight. Oh, we would have killed I, you. Well, I know Chris. Chris, I wasn't worried about you. I was more concerned about Chris because he was going to murder us the first two times I had to cancel. And he has your address. He can send you anthrax. <laughs> well, you know, or I can just be a really bad house guest when I drive to your place over the over the summer. That's true. Just, yeah, leave leave be the terrible. seat up after you pee. <laughs> <laughs> Clog the toilet up. Yeah, leave the crumbs. Uh, what, leave like chip crumbs and candy wrappers everywhere. All Duly right, Matt, noted, well, I will be a horrible, horrible guest. <laughs> well, Matt, so take, we, we, take us to 1957. All right. So, uh, 1957, we see the Japanese film industry booming, and around this time, Toho were experimenting with new formats, including their own 3D system called. Two Vision or Toe Vision? I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. Well, what's the um, name of the studio, Matt? 
So tell. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> hey, man, it's written too. I'm just speaking the English. Uh, so television was abandoned when they decided to start making wide format films, which introduced their first uh, 235-1 Toho scope aspect ratio. Um, the, the Mysterians was the first Toho science fiction film in widescreen format and would also be their most expensive film to date. This was also their first genre film to use stereophonic sound, um, which is, I guess, an early stere- an early stereo-like sound mix. I'm sure Chris could probably tell you all, all about it because he's our, our resident sound guy when we screw something up. Uh, um, a two-channel mix would be my guess. Yeah. I, I don't know too much about their format at the time, but it's probably just a two-channel mix. So better than mono, basically. Um, mono, mono was one channel. Stereo was two-channel. Yeah. So... Ishiro Hondo and Eiji Tsuburai were both fans of George Powell's science fiction films, including War of the Worlds, When Worlds Collide, and Destination Moon. This, along with the recent launch of the Russian Sputnik 1 satellite, inspired them to explore the concepts such as alien races in outer space. This, of course, gave birth to the Mysterians. Uh, To help with the story, Toho hired science fiction writer Jojiro Okami to write a fictional story with a firm basis in scientific fact. His treatment was later fleshed out by Godzilla writer Shigeru Kayama and then into the final script by Kashima Kimura. Um, Takeshi Kimura, excuse me. It was released one year after Japan became part of the UN and was created with the intent to focus on the possible corruption of scientific knowledge, the nuclear threat, and the nations of the world uniting. There's a a quote we have here by Honda. Um, It basically says, I would like to wipe away the Cold War era notion of East versus West and convey a simple universal uh, aspiration for peace, the coming together of all humankind as one to create a peaceful society. That's a pretty awesome quote, by the way. Yeah. So there is the initial uh, rundown. And uh, I, I guess, Bird, are you being nominated for the synopsis? Or yes, he talk? is. He's going to start. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, neither of the, I don't think either of these movies really have much of a synopsis. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yes, The Mysterians. Uh, so the gist of this movie is... Um, there are a series of di- disasters in Japan. There's a big mudslide, um, huge wildfire, uh, and eventually uh, a giant robot, which is Mogera, uh, is unleashed, uh, and he wreaks havoc for a little bit, and he is defeated, and everyone's like, well, what, what the hell is all this? Um, and it turns out there is a scientist... Um, Mr. Shiraishi, who has been researching um, outer space and the dark side of the moon and uh, has discovered the remnants of a planet called Mysteroid. And it turns out that all of these disasters are triggered by the Mysterians from this planet. Now, what happened to that planet? Uh, Well, much like a certain other race in the cosmos, um, they were assholes to each other uh, nuked the hell out of their planet. Um, most of their, um, population was killed in nuclear wars, and even within their own race, they can't reproduce. Um, uh, and if any, uh, children that 
um, you know, if they reproduce sexually, they are deformed and disfigured. And uh, so they have come here and they're like, hey, these earth things are kind of like us. I wonder if we can uh, re... Um, uh, Rebuild the, rebuild the Mysterian race by taking their women and, uh, yeah, using them to repopulate. And, to, and all, and you know, they're like, you know what, we'll be cool. You know, you've seen what we can do. We've shown our hand. You know we can kick your ass. So all you need, if you don't want any more trouble, give us a landmass of a few miles where we can just chill in this big dome. All we need are, you know, maybe five women or so. And that's it. You just leave us alone. We do our thing. You do your thing. Easy peasy. Uh, and of course, Earth is like, what? You serious? And the Earth ain't having it. They're like, you, you're coming in here with giant robots. You're blowing stuff up. You're lighting our forests on fire. You guys are, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to be assholes about it. It sucks that your planet is dying, but you can't just come and take women. That turns out that they're taking more than just five women, and they're also taking the girlfriend of our protagonist, played by Kenji Sahara, and we don't take kindly to that. Uh, and then from there on out, um, the movie is really kind of a series of um, battle scenes performed by spectacular miniature effects. Um, we said earlier this was the most expensive of these Toho films to date. It definitely shows. Um, I think a lot of the stuff Subaraya pulled off here and in the next movie is among his best work. Um, but yes, that is the synopsis. Uh, we have to find a way to beat the Mysterians, and that uh, is going to involve a lot of things. A, coming up with new uh, advanced kinds of uh, weaponry, uh, like the Markalite cannons, uh, which is like a heat cannon that uh, they make. And, you know, Japan can't do it themselves, so they say, hey, listen, rest of the country... Quit being dicks to each other. The US planet, rest of the planet. Buddy. Yeah, rest of the planet. I'm sorry, not rest of the country. Good job, Bert. <laughs> but yeah, hey, rest of the planet, they're like, you know, uh, America, Soviet Union. Yeah, we know you got this Cold War thing going on. Nah, 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 nah. End it. That's bullshit. It doesn't matter. This is what matters. Because if we don't do anything, these Mysterians, they're going to come. They're going to wipe out our entire planet. So whatever petty little squabbles you got going on and uh, all this stuff about, you know, whose nukes is bigger than whose, put it to rest because we got to work together and we all need each other's help. And so the great minds of the world come together, uh, help make these weapons, and we go to battle uh, to put them down. And that's the Mysterians. Um... Anyone want to go ahead and give, uh, you know, a review, initial thoughts on the movie? Uh, I guess I can. Yes. Considering it just a resounding silence followed that question, Matt. Um, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are recording, aren't we? Um, so, I don't know, this isn't my favorite of, of the Toho stuff of this era, but it definitely is in, like, as far as, like, filmmaking level i put it in the higher bracket because it really is pretty unique um i think there's a lot of interesting little subtext that honda threw in there that it's once you start to dissect the movie on a directorial kind of thing and like some of the uh, the framing choices of this and 
actually end Battle in Outer Space, you get kind of a different picture of, of the movie than I had initially seen before. Um, especially with just some basic symbolism of like the trees are burning at the roots. Uh, it starts out in a rural village and ends up the, you know, spoiler for anybody who isn't going to watch this before listening to us talk about it. It ends in flight. So you basically have the world coming together, you know, mountain symbolism usually is overcoming obstacles, rising above or a difficult to reach state. So the Mysterians dome appears next to Mount Fuji. So the entire world needs to come together to rise above everything uh, out of this rural it starts in this in the rural like village festival. Um, and that seems to be a motif that he uses in both this and Battle in Outer Space. So I think it a movie like this coming out at the time that it did, it's, you know, one of the reasons that I think we all like these a lot of aspects of Honda's films is that they speak to that that idea of we can achieve world peace. We can do better than we're doing right now. So I think given all of that, it's uh there's even more stuff I can I can pick apart uh and overanalyze, but I guess uh, whoever wants to go next can. Go ahead, man. I'll go. I'll go because Berg wants to yell at me for saying I don't like this movie, but I do. So first, <laughs> I'm going to say Berg was right about something. Well, you you're right? kind of well, 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 well. Let's back it up. You, I don't think you ever like hated this movie, but you are. It sounds like you're um you're more converted towards my end than you were, at least. So I watched this movie. I feel like the first time I watched it was shortly before G-Fest, maybe last year. Um, watched the Japanese version, and, and I, I didn't love it. I recognize, you know, the, the appearance of the, like the Markalites and some of the ingenuity used, and there are some genuinely beautiful effects in this film. But overall, I just it fell kind of flat for me. And Bird was like, you need to watch the American version, the American cut, it takes, it trims, I think something like four minutes of total footage. It, yeah. The, well, yeah, it's really not a lot, but the, it's one of those things. Like if you ever listen to movie editors talk where they say like every second of a movie counts, it's like they cut it in really where it needs to, where it's like, okay, this scene of people planning stuff out, it doesn't need to last five minutes. It can go for three minutes. And then, you know, and, it really makes a big difference. I agree. Well, it's it the first time I'd actually seen that. The U.S. cut was watching it for this podcast. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, and it, it made a world of difference. And that, that's the first version I ever saw because uh, I rented the VHS. Yeah, the, the U.S. cut was put out by RKO. And I also like I like the dub. I have some nostalgia for the dub. But, yeah, it really only trims a couple minutes. But it really just it really just feels tighter and then um, something I didn't even notice until Steve Rifle pointed it out is uh, the U.S. version sound design actually bumps the Afukube music up quite a bit. So um, the Japanese version, uh, I guess Steve said he always felt the score was too low in the sound mix, but the RKO version kind of beefs it up a little bit, and that's cool. Yeah, I really like this movie. For me, because you know, there's a lot of these Toho movies where... Back in the day, Tanaka would be like, yeah, this is a cool story, but it needs some kind of monster or something. So they'll throw, like, Manda or uh, into Atragon or um, 
uh, uh, Magma into Gorath, or Mogera into the Mysterians. And so this is the first Toho sci-fi movie I think I saw that wasn't, like, an actual kaiju film. Um, and surprisingly, as a young kid, that didn't really bother me. I probably saw this when I was in, like, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, maybe? And, um... Yeah, I, I could immediately tell it was made by the same people. You know, the effects, the actors, um... And, you know, I never really thought it was that much of a drag. Um, and as an adult, I look at a lot of the things that we were just talking about. Um, you know, the, the Honda's themes of, uh, you know, people coming together, which, you know, he does better than anyone, in my opinion. And then also um, the way that he also pads into that, you know, the, the theme of nuclear war. You know, the Mysterians are kind of a grotesque reflection of what humans could become. Um, and I, I, I think that is something that is, is done rather well. Um, especially, you know, they're so advanced, but they have to resort to basically bullying their way into another planet. Um, Another thing that uh, I like and that Honda's talked about with this movie is um, Shiraishi, the scientist who writes the initial report on uh, the Mysterians, <clears throat> and he kind of is uh, wishy-washy, you know. For a while, he's like, oh, wow, this is incredible, you know, there's this alien race. I'm going to go and hang with them and kind of learn what about their technology, and, you know, maybe I can find something there that'll... Um, you know, benefit man, but you know he's he's wrong essentially because he's siding with um, basically these murderous genocidal aliens. But um, and he ends up more or less sacrificing himself because um, the idea is what happens with all this scientific knowledge after you've learned it. What do you do with it? It's the same thing with Sarazawa, who's like. I have to kill myself. I still have this knowledge in my head. It's a burden. And it was it's that, you know, uh with the wrong people, that knowledge can corrupt just as easily as it can, you know, move society forward. And it's it's not uh it's, it's a very it's not a black and white issue. It's a it's a difficult thing to wrestle with. Um so, yeah, as an adult, those are the things that kind of pop out with this movie to me. Well, one thing I mentioned before was the fact that it starts in a rural village during uh, a, a festival. We're following a character that he's an astronomer who everyone's asking, what, what are you doing in this village? Um, if you want to get read into something that possibly a little bit too much, he's refusing to dance with his fiancée. Uh, he can't accept her on her terms at all. Then there's this fire, and he appears as a Mysterian who are demanding women. So it's kind of interesting when you think about the fact that it, Honda was very in tune with women's issues and uh, of the time and would put that into his films. And when you think about their traditional mindset, it's interesting to kind of read into the subtext of that, maybe a little too much, but think about the character's arc in the film. 
why is an astronomer in a rural village? It had all of these themes of advancing society, of everybody coming together. And you and notice, as, not, to, not to cut you off, but really quick, yeah. you notice that he's wearing modern clothing, and even the rest of the group, his, his friends are wearing traditional outfits. Yeah. And, you know, this whole theme of every, everyone coming together and stepping into the future, with the Mysterians being kind of a bleak reflection of humanity, they're kind of a stand-in of, of uh, possibly a, a country that doesn't want to play nice with the rest of them, with a country that's demanding things, that's, you know, uh, that is against that idea of the United Nations that at the time, you know, Honda was obviously very much for. Right. Um but yeah, it, it's interesting that, you know, as someone that had such a fascination with science, uh, movies like this really kind of reflect that he also had a kind of phobia of it as well. Um, but if, if we're talking about Honda's directing and just little things that he adds in um, that prove, you know, he's not a bum like a lot of other B-movie directors, um, one thing that he's talked about in multiple interviews is the scene where Mogera is attacking... And you see uh, Etsuko um, in the bathtub, and you see you know the view outside of her apartment, bathroom, or whatever of the monster like walking through, uh, and that that was done to show like how you know hey these people are just like us you know they bathe like us they have a home life like us you know they're not um, they're not simply their job title. And he that that's kind of a, a a scene that's used as an example a lot, um, and then also like um, <clears throat> when they they have the the gathering of all the 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 uh, uh, the representatives of every country. Notice that it's not the politicians, it's not the presidents and prime ministers and anything that are coming together. It's the scientists. It's the great mind, the great scientific minds of every country, and not only that, but in the background um, where there there's the flags, you have the the Russia Russia and the U.S. and right between them is the Japanese flag, and see that that's clever directing. Oh, I'm going to get into the use of flags a bit more in Battle in Outer Space because there's some really interesting little things that I was picking up on and taking notes on throughout it. But one one thing relevant to that was when Kenji Sahara is telling uh, Takeshi Shimura about, you know, uh, Shiraishi appearing on the TV, telling everybody not to resist the Mysterians. They're framed with a map of the world behind their heads, and. If you start to pay attention to the framing and what's behind certain characters, that's you know a pretty, a pretty clear and straightforward way to in traditional direction just to see what's going on in their heads and and things like that. But with Honda, you notice with these films where he puts flags, uh, what you know the fact that these characters are thinking about the whole world. That's kind of the little the, the little bit of a mental leap that you make, either consciously or not consciously, when two characters are talking in front of a map of the world. Right, right. Um, and, you know, it, the alternate title for the film, or the actual original title, was Earth Defense Forces, not the Mysterians. So that should say everything that needs to be said about that, was the movie is about the Earth Defense Forces being formed. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's more to chew on here than than you know people might uh, might think. 
Um, and, uh, well, I guess while we're waiting for Matt, we, the show well, I, must... I, I, I just didn't want to jump in. Oh, okay. Chris was saying stuff. I was like, I'm not going to be like, hey. All right. Well, I don't know how do much that. of, I don't know how much of that you, you, you caught, but we were, uh, talking about the themes, the subtext, um, and really like the kind of, um, the things that Honda put into the movie, um, or snuck into the movie that, that were kind of clever. Like I mentioned, um, having Japan's flag in between the American and Soviet flags. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris was talking about, uh, Shiraishi being this modern man, um, at this, uh, traditional festival and, and all that stuff. Um, so, I mean, uh, as far as symbolism and subtext goes, I mean, um, we can get back to that or we can put a pin in it, but uh, I don't know, uh, Chris and I kind of gave our thoughts of on what we think of the movie, and you were getting there, so uh, <laughs> you can you can resume if you like. Uh, all, all that we know so far is that you enjoyed the RKO American cut more, so proceed. I, I guess the those edits, as we were discussing, made such a big difference in my viewing this time. And I didn't feel, I guess, as bored, for lack of a better better word, um, as I was when I watched it, you know, the, the original Japanese version. And, you know, the, there isn't a lot of character development per se. Everyone's fairly one note. You do have a sacrifice of the hero character at the end. And it's, um, I mean, all, the, all that stuff is well and good. But what I like about the movie are some of the things that you've already talked about. And that quote that actually I read where it talks about Honda wants to get away from east versus west and the idea that you see in so many of his movies of bringing countries and nation and the world together to fight uh a greater or a a common threat that's what i appreciate about the movie also the mogera rampage for whatever reason i I don't know why but like it just it blew me away this time um i like mogera i and i actually i actually prefer that version to the heisei version which i think gets used a little bit more these days but Agree. Um, I think this version is excellent, and if I'm not mistaken, Bird, I believe the flamethrowers that they're attacking with were like legit live yeah, military personnel. Um, and that was the actual JSDF um, shooting those scenes. Um, and uh, one thing about the uh, RKO cut, though, is it doesn't have the very brief second Mogera. Uh, in the Japanese version, ver- during the final battle, there's a shot of uh, another Mogera like tunneling through the ground, and I think one of the Markalites falls on its head and it collapses or something. But yeah, it's um, kind of uneventful from what I remember. Yeah, um, I think it's the Japanese DVD release, but actually, um, I guess like the idea was that they have like just a whole bunch of those things, um, and I think it's the first Japanese DVD that shows like the Mysterian base, and the- there's just like a wall of <laughs> Mogeras. I think that ha- the inclusion of Mogera in the beginning is is a great idea. Like I think it really works for this movie, and I also love just like the brutality of it gets it basically plummets off that bridge and just crashes. Like everything about that attack is wonderfully shot. It's terrifying. There's some really neat special effects. You see people from what I remember get like basically vaporized when it shoots those little laser things out of its eyes. Um, you've already mentioned the, the the scene with you know the, the bathing sequence, but that shot out of the window was breathtaking. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the film that, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but like it just seemed to flow better this time. And then by the end of the battle, there's a couple things that I loved. One of them, the Markalites, the ingenuity to okay, how are we going to get 
the stationary objects close enough to the dome to attack the the Mysterians when they're just going to wipe us out. And so they decide to basically parachute it in above their firing range and then drop it and then it lands. And I thought that was a really neat idea. Um, so, I mean, it, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, the, the futuristic weaponry that you get in these movies. The landslide or the flood sequence, you know, that comes at the very end is pretty awesome. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I liked about it this time and everything kind of clicked together. Maybe it was a dub, but I think that removal of like four minutes or whatever it was really quickened the pace enough, kept you, kept you engaged. And for me, I, I do like this film now, whereas before I was kind of like, eh, it's fine. I get why it's important, but now I really do appreciate it. Um, well, uh, let's talk a bit about Subaraya and, 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 uh, and the gang here. Um, I think that the, you know, this is before Subaraya had the, uh, the Oxberry printer and everything. So, um, you know, stuff like composites aren't quite as good, but there are some in here that are great. Like, um, when the scientists are first walking towards the Mysterians dome, um, stuff like that. I, like, I think that this is one where the money shows on the screen. Um, I think that some of the best miniature work, um, that, that Toho did around that time is in this movie. Um, and, you know, they were, they were really getting bold with, um, you know, the materials that, uh, that they were using, you know, they were experimenting with, um, different kinds of, uh, plastics and fiberglass, um, and, you know, uh, neon tubing and, and things like that, that they never, um, really, uh, didn't much with before. Um, and so that's how you get stuff like the Mysterians dome and the, the, the spaceships and everything. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, uh, Subaraya up to this point, uh, I mean, really kind of outdid himself, um, here I, I think that both of these movies that we're talking about today I, I think if you like miniatures and tokusatsu they're essentially a, a feast for the for the eyes I think it's uh, as always they always kind of shoot for the stars whether they they can actually achieve the effect perfectly or not and that's one of the things that I think is that, that really kind of separates a lot of Subaraya's work is even if it's a te- if it's a shot that they don't know how they're going to achieve, they try to achieve it in some way. And you know, as you mentioned, they did they didn't have the optical printer that they went on to have in the future, but they still attempt shots that would require a complicated optical printing process. Yeah, and this also <laughs> this also has the part where uh, like there's a tank that's it's like falling through. Um through the ground, the essentially. Oh, well, yeah, the, yeah. The, the man jumps out. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the, a little, <laughs> min, a, a little, a little miniature guy like <laughs> jumps out of it. I think that's so cool. Like that's hilarious. Nobody else. Uh, I don't. No one else would have even attempted to do that. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. The the effects when they're they're high points, like Mogera's attack, as we mentioned, are really high. I mean, it's not just that the effects are great, but they're visually striking. And at their worst, it's you know a little man jumping out of a tank as it goes down into a sinkhole or it, you know, whenever they show Mogara's legs, it looks like really trying not to trip, but <laughs> that's like the, that's the worst you can fault the effects for is that they're trying to accomplish uh, maybe a notch above what was possible at the time with what yeah. their budget was and technology was. And a lot of people don't really realize that up until probably the mid 
60s, you know, these movies had real budgets and and even critically, you know, things like the effects were got a lot of praise. It wasn't later until, you know, people oh, I see the, the the rubber zipper and cardboard buildings, you know, a lot of people when these movies came out um, you know, they these movies, I feel like a lot of them were able to stand tall with uh, you know, your George Pells and your Harry Housens and and stuff like that. Absolutely. And when it was released in the US, um, I've got a, a U.S. poster for it. They tried to hide the fact that it's a foreign film. They tried to market it as a, just another giant spectacle science fiction film. And that came out in the U.S. in 59, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's still pre-60s. So this is – we're not even into, you know, what we – what everybody considers, you know, the, the high point of the time of the Godzilla series. Yeah, think, think of it this way. The Godzilla really isn't even a franchise at this point. It's a movie with a sequel that it's, no yeah, it's, it's a movie with a sequel that uh, you know never took off at this like, and that's all it is. And and you know that's also why this is this was such. I think this is one of the more exciting um, periods for Toho's uh, genre movies because you know without Godzilla as their cash cow, they were like, well, what do we do next? Well, how about this thing about um, alien invasion? Well, what about this thing about? Um, a colliding star. Uh, what about this thing about you know these radioactive blob people or this guy that can turn into gas? You know, every year they were kind of like, okay, well, what can we do now? You know, and yeah, it wasn't until King Kong versus Godzilla came that they were like, okay, Godzilla, 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 Godzilla. Yep, and also it just Yoshio Tsuchiya. You know, it's one of the, you know, sadly, you know, lost him in the last year uh, or was a year, year and a half, uh, whatever. Uh, I feel like it was probably like in the fall. Yeah, but man, I he's he's probably he's got to be my favorite actor from this era just because of one pure chutzpah. Like he just will throw himself into any of these roles, whether it's a tiny bit part, you know, or you know, in this playing the lead Mysterian, it's just there. There weren't many. There aren't many actors you can think of that play that many roles in 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 genre anything without being notable. And he just was like, "Oh, I'll cover my face up." You know, I, I know that uh, you had some trivia you wanted to share about about that uh, later on, Matt. Yeah. Um... So he was originally cast as the lead, which ended up being Kenji Sahara's role, but he turned it down because he wanted to play the Mysterian leader. Um, Toho basically was like, no, man, we're not, we're not going to have that because you have to cover your face. But Honda was actually impressed by that fact. And so he ended up casting him in that role. And the way that he made up for his face being covered was by making up the Mysterian language and using a lot of hand gestures, which of course is something we see carried over in, in <laughs> with the controller, Hero, yeah. yeah, which is one of probably my my favorite performance by him, or at least one of. That is one thing you lose uh, in the American version is uh, you can't hear the crazy Mysterian language when he talks, which uh, it like comes underneath his his Japanese, and it's like this really like it's like really sped up. Uh, from what I understand, that speeding up the language was such a pain in the ass for the sound guys that they just were like, "We're never doing that again." But, uh, <laughs> but it almost sounds like uh, you know, like when Charlie Brown's parents are talking to him, it's like that, but like on fast forward. <laughs> it's really strange. It's interesting. You mentioned Monster Zero. Um, this kind of feels like 
almost like they took some of the template from this film and plopped it into Monster Zero. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, it seems like they the this and Battle in Outer Space, you know, Toho when they when the Godzilla films kicked off was like, hmm, let's do those, but with kaiju. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you, but um, but yeah, I I I don't know. I think this movie kind of holds up. I think, uh, you know, I think these days a lot of the youngins out there are like, oh, it's boring, blah blah blah, but. I think it's good. Oh, and uh, I should mention this. I love the score also. Oh, the yeah. Fukube great, score. Yes. Um, the main theme is excellent. Um, it's great. Because of that, that score is so good that uh, in the final battle, it makes watching stationary objects shoot things at each other for 15 minutes <laughs> feel really exciting. And it's all because of that score. <laughs> Also, the sound effects are freaking awesome. Like the sound of the Mysterians' dome and and everything. And a lot of it was done with instruments, like prepared piano. Like this crazy scraping drone that's going on with the the strings of the piano. It's just like so many aspects of it technically are really really high points uh, in Toho's. I don't know whatever you want to call this, the golden age of of, of science fiction, I guess. Yeah, doesn't and, uh, it make you angry when you think about how lazy Toho got during the Heisei era with like just reusing the same roars or like Destroyer or Space Godzilla just sounding like whatever they sound like, but they're so similar. And it, you realize the early the Showa films put a lot of attention and detail. Um, especially, I mean, as far as the Godzilla films go on, like creating unique monster roars and sound effects. And then you know Shin Godzilla comes along and reuses effects from the fifties and sixties. Oh, that had its own weird effect in itself. But yeah, I totally agree about the Heisei stuff. And it's just, it it kind of bums me out because that's, uh, for me, as, as, as obsessed with sound and the music and sound effects, it's like a lot of the fun is how unique can you make this creature sound? How can you give it a really unique voice? Or how can you make this, the, the back, the background drone of this space interesting? And you know, this movie, thankfully the score does come with the sound effects. You can actually hear them isolated. And it's like, I find it fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of hard work went into the sound, the visuals, everything. Um, speaking of which, uh, we talked about Mount Fuji being behind the Mysterians dome, but, um, uh, yeah, just to kind of go with what we were saying, they painted so many of those backdrops that there's, I think there's a different one for almost every scene, every time you see, uh, you know, an exterior of the dome, you know, they would go and replace, you know, the, the big wall with another shot of Mount Fuji to reflect, you know, whatever time of day it was or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's those little touches that I think, you know, make these movies, um, kind of stand above some of their counterparts. You know, one thing that um, that I've heard people say that I don't think is true is that the Mysterians are a metaphor for the American occupation. But, I mean, just reading Honda's biography, you know, I, I don't... I don't. Re- I feel like he was pretty neutral on the occupation. I don't think this is. It'd be really of- odd for him to have to go through all that <laughs> trouble to place the flags next to each other and to have that quote, <laughs> and then for him to be like, "Nah, J.K., this is actually the Americans." <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't really have uh, a ton to add. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to go ahead. If you, if what, what out of, uh, what are we going to rate this? What kind of, you know, crazy rating scale are we going to use on this one, Bird? Did, did you think of something? Uh, Tiny men jumping out of tanks. Well, that's a good one. I like it. I'm going to go first because um, I think you guys will probably balance out my opinion some. If I were to rate this in terms of some of the the, the first that it does, and from a technical perspective. I would probably be at a solid, you know, four, four and a half. But for me, I do factor in my overall enjoyment of a film a lot. And <clears> this <throat> doesn't always hit the right notes for me personally. Um, the characters are, as I said, kind of one note. There are spots where I do think the film drags. And as beautiful as the special effects are in places, and this is going to be my one of my big griefs in the next film, I feel like if you don't have, if it's just kind of the same thing where you're, you know, beam attack, explosion and, and it kind of drags on i feel like that dampered my enjoyment so i'm at a three and a half out of five tiny men jumping out of tanks that's fair i mean a lot of those are things that i mean yeah the characters are kind of one note and that does subtract from it but um for me it's more that after uh you know after the the women are kidnapped the they just don't do much it's just kind of a series of you know let's build this weapon let's get this country together um it becomes very uh light on plot after that um i mean one note characters are kind of the norm for these movies so i i think i think it's just what they're doing um you know that isn't quite as interesting that it kind of subtracts a little for me and then yeah I, I i do agree with you you know it is a b-more movie it is just stationary objects shooting at each other which i think the next movie kind of fixes a little bit but yeah i mean that last battle is just things standing there and shooting at each other but the music makes it makes it, the music tricks you into thinking it's exciting and uh the visual effects are all really good miniatures are all really good so you know the the positives kind of make up for the negatives in a way it kind of becomes a wash so um um that combined with you know i do have a lot of nostalgia for this movie um i wouldn't it's not up there with godzilla and mothra and stuff but um for 50s toho it's it's up there i give this one a four four abducted women that seems like another good scale we could have used yeah, I can go <laughs> oh god uh, see, this is tough. I'm, I'm actually in between. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go because I, 3.5 out of five seems to be undercutting it because I think it's a movie that everybody who's into this type of thing should be, should have seen or should be checking out because it's absolutely worth it. Even if the personal enjoyment as a film isn't like, it's not the most exciting thing because you start with these characters that are kind of lightly lightly sketched out and then as the scale increases they kind of become less and less important to what's on screen it becomes more of a spectacle uh so i'm gonna i was originally gonna go with 3.5 out of 5 abducted women or tiny men jumping out of tanks um but i'm gonna go with 3.75 Ooh, there you i'm gonna go. split the difference because i feel like i didn't enjoy it as much as bird but i can't in my in good conscience give it the 3.5 okay i like it i okay. like it um that's what matters to me <laughs> all right uh we have some uh some more trivia tidbits i don't know um uh matt did you want to do any of those or should i do them 
Why don't we? Why don't we let Chris do some? We could. We could kind of you know split them up. There's what? I think there's four left. Yeah. Right. How about you and you and Chris take them? I, I took a, a decent chunk earlier. All right. Well, did you know Mogera was originally an organic creature, uh, looking more like an armadillo? Um, but it was decided it was make more to make it would make more sense if he were a giant robot. Uh, which apparently was a pain in the ass for Nakajima. He said, uh, moving, like, uh, mechan- trying to move, me- like, a mechanical thing, uh, was a little bit more restrictive than, you know, if he was playing Godzilla or Rodan or, or whatever. Um, Chris, do you want to take the next one? Sure, but I just want to note that a giant armadillo makes less sense than a giant Art Deco robot. I just I love the the logic of that statement. <laughs> um, all right, uh, here's some factoid that I totally didn't research. Uh, trivia: the effects set was extremely hot, with some areas getting up to 176 degrees Fahrenheit. The crew would often work in their underwear. It was so hot that they would sweat clumps of salt instead of sweat, as the moisture would evaporate the perspiration. Salt licks were put up in the corner of the set uh, so they could that they would lick to stay hydrated. Uh, Subaraya still wore his trademark outfit of jacket, slacks, hat, coat, and tie. And on hotter days, all he did was loosen his tie. <laughs> That's crazy. Also, that was probably my favorite story that uh, Ed and Steve told at G Fest last year because they did a panel on this. Like just to think about how hot that said had to mean like insane amount of, of heat that where you're sweating and your sweat immediately just like evaporates and you're left with just the salt on your arms or something. Yeah, I we always really we always that. talk about like, oh, how awesome it must have been to work on this old movie set. It's like nah. <laughs> cool. I wanna say like I wanna say at one point they had like some sort of inspection and they were like, No, the set's way too hot and you shouldn't be doing all this stuff. I'm like, well, we kind of have to. Yeah, people's shoes are melting to the ground and stuff. <laughs> messed up. <laughs> uh, speaking of beam wars, um, Mr. Koichi Kawakita, I think we know where he picked up the habit, because uh, this was his favorite movie. Um, that's why he was uh, the one that um, insisted on bringing Mogera back for Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Um the the DVD, even even the U.S. Media Blasters DVD has a commentary of uh, Kawakita and Shinji Higuchi, which is actually a really fun listen. It's it's more of a fan commentary, you know. Neither of those guys were on that set, but uh, it's fun to listen to these two, um, you know, legendary tokusatsu artists talk about this classic movie. Um, so yeah, maybe that's why. Uh, maybe this maybe a young Kawakita watched this movie and. Just, it was just, all that went on in his head from there forward was beams. I don't know. They don't have to move, they just have to shoot at each other. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, here's another one. Uh, Chris, you go with this one, Matt. This one might be of a special, special interest to you. Uh, author Mark Siracini wanted to use the Mysterians as the villains for a Godzilla novel for Random House before the series was canceled. It would have seen the Mysterians return to Earth 50 years after the original film. Dr. Shiraishi and Mogera would return, and the Mysterians would be asking the Earth for help against a greater threat. 
I'm confused why birds all like, yeah, man, you would love this fact. I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, you, I talk, you, like, you, you always talk about those books and how much you uh, were bummed that the last one never came out. Well, I am, I am bummed about that because I thought there were like some, uh, there, it was like, you know, this massive tease to have Biolante on the cover and some other new monster or whatever. But um, was it Godzilla and the Lost Continent? Is that the book? Yeah, yeah. Yep, they're all kind of can combining together at me this point. The one that the only book of that series, by the way, that I really loved was the first one. But it does like literally just steal the end of Godzilla '85. Yeah, pretty much. When I was a little kid, around the era that whenever I guess this was like thir- when I was in third grade, so it may have been around '98. Um, I for some class thing, we were writing letters to try to get donations to give out as, as uh, gifts, and I wrote Random House, and they sent us one of every Godzilla book that had come out at the time. Uh, and it was handed out and dispersed to the classroom. Oh, that's pretty Preaching the gospel. <laughs> it's like handing out Bibles. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> please, you have a minute to talk about monsters, please. <laughs> uh, well, you know... Um, before we wrap up the Mysterians, I think it's worth mentioning the bizarre uh, proposed, but probably never seriously, seriously considered Godzilla vs. the Mysterians project from 1990. Um, so, essentially what this was, was the music video director by the name of Mick Anger, who is most famous for doing live... Uh, uh, concert videos like Deep Purple and Judas Priest. He was in Japan to do, uh, to film two Whitney Houston con- uh, concerts, and the company that sent him uh, found out that he was a Godzilla fan, and they they were like, oh, hey, how would you like to take a tour uh, and go to Toho? And he met with Kawakita, um, who liked this little like fan treatment idea he had for Godzilla versus the Mysterians. Uh, and it was a kind of odd um, story that would take place after the original, where the Mysterians were hiding in uh, Nevada, conducting experiments underground on their own race, and they were they created this giant uh, Gila monster, battle tank, human hybrid creature, and they kidnapped Godzilla to study his uh, immunity to radiation. And Rodan and Ingilis end up um, fighting the Mysterians at the Hoover Dam, and Godzilla gets freed, and they all fight in Las Vegas. And it was a really weird, like, Amblin-esque story. I don't know if a whole script was written, but you can read his treatment on his website, which is still up. Um, But yeah, it had really, like, kind of 70s Godzilla kind of monster humor, like... You know, Godzilla playing, um, like, ball with a boulder with, you know, the other monsters. And um, it had some dark humor, like Rodan loses one of his feet and it crashes through a gift shop and crushes a bunch of people. Um, uh, Yeah, it was kind of uh, very Megalon-esque. And, uh, I don't know, I think speculation is that... um, uh, they, they, I've heard at least that they didn't want to accept a Godzilla treatment from a foreigner. Um, but it's 1990. There's all a bunch of other crap you got to consider. It's like, okay, you're already two movies in. You've established a continuity. Then you got to throw it out to fit the Mysterians in there. And 
I don't know, it just sounded like a big headache, and it doesn't sound like the kind of tone that uh, the Heisei series was really aiming for. Also dumb. That too. <laughs> if it was 1977 with a budget of $5, sure. <laughs> but when you're in 1990, uh, we, we've evolved past uh, uh, volleyball monsters, I think. Yeah, I don't know if I would be a fan of that weird abomination of a script you just mentioned. <laughs> Um, so let's go back, uh, to the fifties. Um, and we're going to fast forward a couple years to 1959's Battle in Outer Space. Um, now, uh, I guess, uh, I'll do our little, uh, uh, briefing here before we get into, you know, the synopsis and all that. Um, so... Uh, I think it was established when we set up the Mysterians. Um, Honda and Subaraya were people that paid attention to science, scientific developments. And in 1959, um, the Soviet-U.S. space race was still going. Uh, the Soviets had launched their first rockets to the moon, um, uh, some of which would even return very grainy, nondescript unclear photos, um, uh, but Tsuburaya was very, uh, keen to revisit the subject of outer space, um, and show the moon, uh, before we knew what it was really like, before we knew, um, how movement on the moon worked, before we even knew what it looked like, um, and he said, uh, the dark side of the moon is still a mystery, and I would like to make a film on that subject. The United States and Soviet Union are doing a lot of research in this area, and if their moon rockets go to the moon and show us what is there through a televised broadcast, we'll know everything. Therefore, we must create it before it happens. It's as if science fiction and reality are competing in a race against each other. So Subaraya essentially was like, I want to put out my version of what the moon looks like before reality <laughs> shows us what it's really like. Um, and... Like the Mysterians, this would go on to be an expensive movie and probably Tsuburaya's most ambitious work um, to date. Uh, and um, so they brought back uh, writer Jojiro Okami um, because he's he was kind of their guy when they wanted to make a movie with a hard sci-fi element, meaning taking a lot of cues from actual recent scientific research of the time. That was your guy. Um, that was um, adapted into a final screenplay by Shinichi Sekizawa. Um, and as always, the Sekizawa-Kimura com comparisons uh, are apt here because you look at the Mysterians and you have these tormented characters like Shiraishi and these heavy sacrifices, and Sekizawa's movies are always lighter and more breezy. Um, uh, it's commonly referred to as a sequel to the Mysterians, although... Um, at least from, uh, what, uh, Honda's biographers, you know, Steve Rifle and Ed Godzicheski have said, you know, in all their research, they never really found anyone referencing it as a sequel. Um, it shares some character names, like really only, I think maybe two, maybe three, um, character names with the Mysterians, but it's not a sequel, um, you know, it's kind of been speculated that those names just came from an earlier draft that either maybe was a sequel, or they're just names that Okami liked, and he just recycled them. Um, but regardless, it's not a sequel to The Mysterians. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it, people people need to remember, you know, 
back in the day how quickly these movies were written, how quickly they were shot, how quickly they were made. Um, so, uh, like the Mysterians, this movie is fairly light on plot. Um, so, Chris, do you want to go ahead and give us a, a synopsis for Battle in Outer Space? Oh, God. I can... You're going to have to help me with this, because I'm not good at, at, at synopsis. <laughs> this, synopsis. The, this one should be really easy. You've heard me do it, I don't man. know what just happened, but you sounded like a broken robot right then. <laughs> I said, this should be really easy. There's not much to say. Uh, it uh, it's, takes place in the distant future of 1965, six years from 1959. Um, let's see. Uh, does, does it start with the, the, the bridge incident right yes. with the train okay so there's a, uh, a bridge suddenly lifts up a train falls and plummets and and what have you and then falls back into place uh there's a bunch of international disasters following that um uh, the un convenes to discuss this uh and there is a scientist dr ahmed who falls under Alien control. Uh, you're gonna have to help me with this, Bert. Do you want me to this tap? Okay, I'll, you can tap. Yeah, because I, okay, I, so, I've so, only I've seen this movie twice. And, okay. All right. So Doctor yeah. Ahmed loses his damn mind, um, and it turns like out uh, uh, he was under some sort of uh, spell. He was possessed by um, these aliens um, from the planet Natal, and it uh, is revealed that they have set up a base on the moon um, where they uh, will get together and plan uh, their big, massive attack on the Earth to take over the Earth. Unlike the Mysterians, you don't learn their motives. They just, you know, hey, there's a planet. We want it. It's ours. Um and then so uh, we have, um, and props to Honda, uh, this movie kind of doubles down on a lot of the subtext and symbolism we were talking in the Mysteri- about in the Mysterians. Uh, one of the more surface things that they did is um, giving more prominent roles to foreigners. So it's not just Japanese that um, go into space uh, and, and deal with this. You know, uh, you have um, Americans and, and Russians, again, putting aside uh, their Cold War differences to, to take on this threat. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of countries in here that really no movies really paid any mind to, um, you know, um, the UN scenes have, uh, people from the Philippines, India, China, you know, back then that was not normal (laughs) for a Japanese movie to do, but Honda's awesome, so that's what he did. Um, but yeah, uh, he gave, um, more focus on, uh, having prominent roles for foreigners, um, you know, there's more representation in this movie, uh, and, um, a little bit more focus on science as well, um, anyway, so, they go to the moon, and they're like, okay, we gotta find this base, uh, we gotta blow up this base, so they go, they attack the base, and then, um, this really just pisses them off more, and they're like, we're gonna send tons of ships to Earth to just blow shit up. Um, and that is what they do in spectacular Subaraya fashion. In my opinion, some of his absolutely uh, just best work is in the final battle of this movie. But um, but yeah, I mean, from the time they uh, they initiate the battle on the moon, it's just 
set piece after set piece. You have um, aerial dogfights uh, in space, which um, it's not uh, difficult to draw parallels between that and another uh, um, outer space movie uh, made in the 70s by a guy named George, uh, who liked these kinds of movies. Um, anyway, but, uh, yeah, it's just a battle after battle after battle at that point, and then, uh, the movie is over. Um, I mean, it's really kind of a breakneck, uh, pace that, that the story is told in. Um, uh, but that's Battle in Outer Space. Um, so, since I gave the synopsis, we'll get into the review portion. Um, I don't know, should we go with uh, the, 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 the light side or the dark side first? <laughs> which one, which one do we do? Should we let Matt get it out of his system? Yeah, that's sure. fine. Uh, <sighs> okay. I acknowledge, <laughs> I acknowledge, I acknowledge that there are some absolutely beautiful set pieces, some great effects, those things are all true. The last final like five minutes of the movie, where the you know the, the saucers are blowing up entire cities, all, all wonderful stuff. It actually was like I was like, man, I wish there was more of this in the film to keep me engaged. When I talked about one note characters in Mysterians, this is like quarter note characters or something. I don't I don't know. It, it's the the people the, the characters in this film, with like one exception which is um, uh, Yoshio Tsutaya's character. Basically, they all... Well, he's just, always awesome. They are. He, he is. But in this film, nothing really... I don't know. I don't really care about any of them. And that's a problem. And we talked about Beam Wars. Now, it is true in a sense that they sort of fixed it. And what Bird means is you basically have... They're not really stationary. <laughs> yeah. They, they just they move and they shoot beams. And, it, and it's a lot of that over and over and over again without much... I mean, there's just not a whole lot of variation there. And then you get to the end of the film and you do have some really awesome city destruction sequences and stuff. I just don't really care about what's going on. And, and, and for me, one of the greatest issues a film can have is that when it's, when it's boring, and that's, I really, I just, I felt bored most of this movie. And the, the battle on the moon, like, they're just kind of shooting beams at a stationary dome thing, the ship or whatever, and it just it shoots back, and they hide behind rocks, and like you have what felt like twenty minutes of that, and yeah, I could do without watching it again. I'll be honest. I mean, I get the appeal of some of the futuristic weapons. I understand like there's some great effect sequences, but that's not enough to say what I found to be just really dull and boring. There you go. There's my there, there's a super cut of this movie on YouTube that says battle in outer space in a minute. I think that would be a better spend of your time, to be honest. Fair. Uh, I don't completely disagree. Uh, it's not my favorite by any stretch of the of the imagination. This is definitely in, in my personal enjoyment of of the Toho verse. Uh, it's uh, I agree as far as the moon stuff. That stuff really drags. For me, it's said, not so much it the much. it's not the battle on the moon that gets to me it's the the getting to it's getting there <laughs> yeah <laughs> that drags out for me once once they're fighting on the uh at the base it's it's fine but yeah getting there is kind of a slog 
I mean, even though they're they're using a giant hot dog with a nose as a transportation vehicle, a wiener boat, it's still, mobile, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. There's a lot to like about the aesthetic of this movie, and I think it has a really unique aesthetic that I actually noticed this time while watching it. Um, Hideaki Anno's series, um, Gunbuster definitely pulled a lot of visual cues and some of the tone from Battle in Outer Space, except flipped a lot of the morality. Um, but it still was like, this movie has a look, the effects have a look, there's something about it that is that really jives with me, but my enjoyment of watching it as a piece of entertainment is kind of more than mad. I'm not miserable while watching it, but I don't. <laughs> this isn't one that I revisit I mean, I guess that I've seen it twice now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll see it more times, but it's not one that I really will revisit very often. It's still worth seeing, but it's just, it's about scale. It's not about character. Mm-hmm. And they well, don't even bother introducing characters. Yeah, well, also, uh, to put it into some historical context, well, I, I think, for better or worse this movie really doubles down on a lot of what you got in the Mysterians. Um, it doubles down on the action, but just like the Mysterians, it's great action. It doubles down on the, uh, you know, action over plot and character. Um, it doubles down on the George Pale worship, which, again, if we're putting this into historical context, um, the movie this, that this was kind of... Uh, you know, their, I guess, homage to kind of had similar things going with it. Only, uh, you know, they kind of looked at it and said, well, how can we do this and fix the issue of representation? You know, because the George Pale movies, it's all, you know, white Americans uh, going to to do all that. Um, but yeah, it, it doubles down on everything. It, it really goes more into the international affairs. Like I said, uh, foreigners have much bigger roles in here. Um, in the last battle, you see, you know, the Russian uh, and the American, you see their families on the sidelines and them reuniting with their families. Um, uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it's still, it's, it's as, it, on that note, it's as thoughtful as the Mysterians, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I it's not one of my favorites either, but I, I you know, I'm not going to be so harsh on it as to say, you know, that you can watch everything good about it in a minute or whatever. I mean, the the scenes in here, I mean, the these are scenes that Toho was still using as stock footage into the 2000s. Um, That's true. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, I mean, you can say all you want, but that last battle, I mean, with the anti gravity beam, I think that's one of Subaraya's best set pieces and, you know, the ingenuity that goes into that, you know, they had to build these uh, miniatures out of much different material that they weren't very experienced with. Uh, It was the one time they actually did use cardboard to make buildings um, and use, you know, compressed air and all this stuff. Um, And it's really, like I said about the Mysterians, uh, I mean, I think, I just kind of consider this movie to be a feast for the eyes um, the only time it really slows down is when they're doing that destination moon crap where it takes 10 years to land the damn ship. Um, but again, they were hot on destination moon at the time. That's what they wanted to do. Um, 
Uh, and Moon was a destination, but when they got there, they didn't know what to do. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they did. They stood around and shot beams on repeat, and that's all they... But yeah, <laughs> I mean, especially once they get back to 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 Earth, and the, that's when, you know, you have the last act of the movie. It, it, it really picks up. I think the... If anything, I think the movie is paced too fast, so that it doesn't leave yeah, much Bird, room Bird for wants anything. more slow, boring stuff in the movie. Um, but I mean, with characters, I, I will say, uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya, um, has the best character in here. You know, he's charming, he's funny, and like most of his characters, he's tragic and ends up sacrificing himself, but, uh... Um, and controlled by aliens or an alien. Yeah. I do think, uh, the Anno, I think Anno is a big fan of this movie. Um, you know, you brought up Gunbuster, but, um, let's not forget that, uh, the theme from this movie is... <laughs> hilariously misused at the end of Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing I, I wanted to actually touch on, was to contrast that, was the use of flags in this film is actually really, really subtle, but really, really clever. Um, so, like, the Mysterian... This feels to me like a spiritual sequel to the Mysterians in the way that, oh, obviously an early draft was, and because the Mysterians is about an event that happens in Japan and the whole world unites to fight a common enemy on the ground. What this is, the world is already united via the UN, and then when this common enemy is coming from outer space, just like you said, they double down. Now, okay, we have to go after these things that are invading in the sky, and it's, you know, a huge what have you. But what happens is, during the UN meetings, never is there only one flag alone in the frame. Characters are framed in front of many flags, or if they're sitting at the tables, there's never, I don't, if, to my, I was started paying attention to this a couple shots in, but whenever you saw a character, say, from India or China speaking, there would be at least one other flag in the frame, okay? After the Dr. Ahmed incident, the framing in the UN actually widens. The shots are a little bit wider. Um, and then after the moon, destination moon sequence, because the future of the entire human race is now at stake, back at the UN, there aren't any country flags on the tables anymore. That is smart directing, my friend. uh Uh-huh. And I didn't pick up on this the first time, but it was kind of like, wow, that's... It's about the UN going out the window. It's no longer United Nations. It's about the world is working together to fight something that's coming from outer space and that's coming to get all of us. And see, that's why I always say Honda was a smart director. You know, he was no hack like a lot of other guys that work in the genre. He he put thought into his frames, his compositions, um, you know, his subtext. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, with that in mind, it's even funnier that the theme from this movie is used uh, and not matched properly to a scene in Shin Godzilla. That's the, it's, again, it seems like he latched onto the aesthetic of a lot of these movies. Right, right. And it, visually, it's why I think Anno's work sometimes really succeeds, is he really knows how to nail the aesthetic, but then translate it through his own unique lens. But as far as what it's saying, it's it's not saying what, what Honda is saying. And mm-hmm. his use of, of the imagery and use of the music and all of that is for a different purpose. Yeah, a lot of food for thought there, really. Yeah, I mean, you contrast to Shin Godzilla, where the framing of the Japanese flag and the colors of, of um, what's, his fa- what's his name? 
the lead character. Uh, Yaguchi. Yaguchi, thank you. Um, it's kind of the opposite of this, where it's focusing solely on one place, and it's about it's about Japan. Whether you whether you believe that it has any political leanings or not, the film is very much about Japan coming together to fight Godzilla. So in that way, it's a it's a film about unification, much like this is, but it's just it's different. And in how this is like, who here's the UN. Suddenly, the UN is no longer important, and it's just the the entire world has a has a menace that's coming from the skies. It's just it's all in the framing. It's all in the film. Yeah, that's awesome. I like it. Yes, Hondo was <laughs> the man. My my Robocop quote. I was about to say the exact same thing. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the one dude just going, I like it. <laughs> also, this is totally a precursor to Destroy All Monsters, the same way that the Mysterians is a precursor to Monster Zero. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely true. It has Even a, they both have moon, losing they, his shit. They both have moon sequences that go on for too long, you mean? Yeah, and they get <laughs> Tsuchiya losing his shit and being controlled by aliens. Yeah. I feel like he's always there's always something wrong with him and no matter what movie you're watching he's great <laughs> I, another random note is i never get tired of seeing 60s neon signs in japan it's like one of my favorite images used in a lot of these films even if they're like obviously on a set or obviously a miniature outside of a window there's just some something about that look that's just magic um Oh, you know, I, I, we were talking about detailed miniatures. One of the buildings that, uh, the prominent buildings that gets destroyed is the Cinerama Theater in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, we talked about how widescreen was uh, a big thing in, you know, the, the mid to late 50s and, you know, Toho Scope and everything. But it could have also been a nod to Marion C. Cooper, who uh, did uh, the This is Cinerama uh, stuff around the same time. Which is, if anybody gets a chance to see that, it is worth seeing it just for the technique of Cinerama alone. It's really cool. It was like this strange replication of the human uh, visual perspective. It's really fascinating. Yeah, a couple uh, places around me have have, uh, shown prints of it, but I've never gone out. But yeah, it's like a huge screen, but it's like uh, several projectors, right? It's three projectors, and it's a curved screen, but then they widen at the outside. I have it on Blu-ray, and actually if you sit at the right distance from the screen, you get that sort of effect where it's almost like 3D without being 3D. It's meant to, to mimic the, the focal depth and the full, the full width of the human vision. So it looks like you're almost looking through a window. It's a strange illusion that it creates. It's not perfect, but it's really unique, and it only existed for a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, uh, you guys ready to do ratings? I'll just, I'll just let Matt go first, so it'll be like a band aid, you know, just rip it off. What's the What's the scale going to be, though? Uh, how many uh, uh, crazy? Yoshua Tsuchi is losing his shit. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's essentially what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't like this movie very much. I do recognize some of the aesthetics and obviously the special effects and, and the, um, the sets are, are really, they are beautiful. Um, 
I enjoy the score enough. So with with all those things in mind in the pro category, I'm going to go two out of five. So not like a one, right? But okay, you know, I, I don't love it. You're not being as much of an edge lord as I thought you would. That's good. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, Chris, what do you think? Ah, see again, I'm I'm conflicted because it's really not one of my favorites. And I have the two sides of the coin again, of one being, even if I Matt thinks that it's just like a turd sandwich with great effects, and I'm going to not give it the highest rating, just watch it anyway. It'll, it doesn't take that much of your time. I'm going to give it uh, 2.5, Yoshio Tsuchi is losing his shit on the moon. All right, it looks like we're just climbing up a ladder here, because um, I'm going to go with a three. Um you know, I know what they're going for, and what they're going for isn't, you know, deep character study. And for what they were going for, I think they did a good job. It hits a little bit of a snag um, when they're on the way to the base, um, just so they can get their George Pale out of their system. And, you know, that's okay. You know, in historical context, you know, I know I know why they were doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, but yeah, just like how we were talking about stuff with the flags and all that... Um, you can really tell the amount of thought Honda put into these movies, and, you know, there's things like that you pick up on subsequent viewings. You know, you notice a little more every time you watch it. The Mysterians is the same way, so, um, yeah, but it, it's not one of my favorites of the era, you know. I don't put it up there with Rodan or Mothra or, you know, um, uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World or any of those, but, um, you know, it's a solid, fun movie. It's short. And um, I don't think it, it moves it, it, you know, too slow of a pace. So I think a three. Um, and then, yeah, before uh, we head out of here, I have two pieces of trivia. I'll just go right through them. Um, speech, speaking of Yoshio Tsuchiya, um, it was his idea for the characters to walk on the moon as if they were in zero gravity. Um, now, keep in mind, this is before anyone had actually walked on the moon. Um, and, you know, he was just kind of guessing based on, you know, theories about, uh, you know, zero gravity. And, uh, yeah, uh, in 1969, uh, Apollo 11 goes to the moon, and it turns out not only, uh, are they walking very much like Suchia in the film, uh, but photos of the moon, uh, uh, landing and, um, the moon surface looked very much like the movie, so much so that, uh, Honda, uh, watching the, it on TV was ecstatic and, uh, told to his wife, see, see, we were right. We got it right. We got it right. Um, and then also just a little bit about Honda movies like, uh, the Mysterians and battle in outer space. Those were two that he kind of held close to his heart. Um, and you know, whatever you think about them, it's not too hard to see why. Um, he's often said Gorath in fact is his favorite movie that he's, He's watched, and uh, you know the two things that Honda was really into were science, um, hard sci-fi themes, and um, the that pacifist message of global unity. And you know he would much rather have explored those things than you know making these uh, you know godzilla movies for eight-year-olds you know and so the movies that are really heavy on the science and really heavy on the you know the the global uh unity to defeat a, a bigger threat 
Um, that's the stuff that he really wanted to do. Um, so, you know, he felt that those are the movies that, you know, not being these Godzilla franchise cash cow movies, you know, he had more creative freedom um, to say and do what he wanted. And, uh, you know, those are just the kinds of movies he liked to do, you know, stuff like Atragon, too. Um, so, yeah, uh, that is uh, when Toho went to space. Well, in the 50s, but... Um, you know, uh, I will add that the Natal aliens are very strange. I'm not sure. They sound like mega neurons. <laughs> <laughs> right. Apparently, they. Because uh, I always thought, like, oh, they probably got, you know, um, uh, little people or maybe even kids to, in those suits, but apparently they just hired really short people. That's what I read. Fascinating. It is, isn't it? And that's a really. Uh, good way to go out so um yeah unless you two have anything to add about these um two uh erroneously uh called space operas you guys good yeah all right all right well uh cool that was fun and chris thank you again it's always for having me yes um All right, so we will see you next time.